calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 156. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Welcome, welcome. Come on in. Here, let me get your coat. Go ahead and make yourself comfortable. Can I offer you a Drabble? Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. They're fun to write and hardly any commitment at all to read. Write one yourself, post it in our discussion forums for review, and or send it to Drabblecast at yahoo.com. We'd love to take a gander. This week's Drabble is called Vow, and it comes to us from Nathan Lee. Nathan is a former English major and English teacher living in Charlotte, North Carolina with his wife Angela and two cats. He's quite the prolific drabbler himself. Check out his daily writing blog at mirrorshards.com, where he's been writing a drabble every day for the past few years. We just ran a drabble of his on the show a few weeks ago called The Stone Who Loved, and are happy to have his work back on the show so soon. <laughs> Of course I'll do it. And do you know why? He leveled a finger at the somber priest. Because no one dies wishing they'd spent more time in the office or more time asleep. No one regrets not lying back and waiting for life to come to them. He leapt and faced the audience. (laughs) You have to take risks if you want to win. You only go around once. So grab for all the gusto you can get. What's the harm in trying new things? You never know, you know? Um, the usual response is simply, I do, said the priest. Yes, it's week four of Women's and Aliens National History Month. This week we take a look at Tying the Knot. 
And indeed, spring is here, and single people are dropping like treated botfly larvae. Something about the fresh, flower-scented air, beautiful weather, and unfortunate tax penalties, I don't know, makes people want to get hitched. And more power to them. Because if their situation's anything like this week's story, they're gonna need it. Our feature story is called Going to the Chapel, and it comes to us from Sandra O'Dell. Sandra's the happily married mother of two teenage boys. She's an avid reader and a raving chocoholic. When she's not writing, Sandra feeds the chocolate monkey on her back and prepares sacrificial meals to the great foodie, Alton Brown. Sandra's writing credits include publication in Bards and Sages Quarterly, The Future Fire, and Jim Bain's Universe, and upcoming publication in Idiomancer and Barge of Sages Quarterly. She wants to be herself when she grows up, but barring that, she'd like to be Harlan Ellison. The story is read to you by professional voice talent Lauren Singer. Two years ago, Lauren gave her voice a voice through the creation of her own studio, Singer Productions, and her online presence at Voices.com, which has provided her with the visibility to launch and rapidly accelerate her career. Today, Lauren is working locally, nationally, and even internationally on video games, animation, audiobooks, commercials, narrations, e-learning, and audio imaging for a multitude of businesses. Lauren's diverse body of work includes voice for radio and TV commercials for Harley-Davidson, The Sea Witch in Rage of the Gladiator, currently available for download on Nintendo Wii, seven playable characters in Heroes of Neewith by S2 Games, app instructions for the iPhone, and Zappadoodle's Toothbrush Sanitizer by Violite. As her Lauren Singer website is currently under construction, Lauren asks that you visit her Voices.com page at laurensinger.voices.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-S-Y-N-G-E-R dot Voices.com. So without further ado, Going to the Chapel by Sandra O'Dell. Joe Baker's day of wedded bliss was the biggest scandal the congregation of Milton County's First Brotherhood Baptist Church had endured since Ginger Lynn married that Leibowitz boy from the army. Bless her heart. But you just can't, Pastor Williams. You just can't. Brenda Lee Baker said in a desperate hysteria that spanned as many octaves as her sister Mimi had chins. What will people say? Now, 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 Brenda Lee, you know Amy Lee's a smart girl, a good girl. Pastor Ernest Williams said with as much grace as he could muster in the midday August heat. Well, she's in love, which is a sight better reason to get married than some of the other girls her age might manage. Oh, lordy, lordy, I don't even want to think about that. The mother of the bride wrung her hands like a washerwoman on Saturday. And besides, Tickle Beaks, Doc Peak, Bock Beaks. The name was a mouthful of broken teeth. He seems like a nice enough fella, for all that he's from outer space. Brenda Lee rounded on the shepherd of the flock. Nice enough? Nice enough? He has tentacles. Well, folks is always saying it takes all kinds. Tentacles, Pastor Williams. You hear me? Love is blind, Brenda Lee. You, of all people, should know that. 
Brendan Lee crossed her arms over her chest, and her chin came up a notch as she took aim with her offense. John Henry's a fine husband and a good man, even if he's not the easiest on the eyes after his Sunday shave. The pastor straightened his tie and checked his hair in the mirror, taking a comb to what he could and leaving the rest to the heat. Why, just last week you told Madge Linus that you were glad a stopped clock is right at least twice a day, seeing as how John Henry's looked at every one of them in the house. He set the comb aside and gave his blue robes a final tuck and brush. Well, at least he doesn't have tentacles. We invited Tacklebox's parents. Now, now, Brenda Lee, you know that's not how you say it. I don't care how you say it. We invited those fangs over for dinner because Emily wanted us to meet Tickleback's parents, get to know them, and be sociable. I welcomed them into the house my granddaddy built with nothing but his own two hands and the sweat on his brow, and you know what they did? Her gentrified accent slipped further back country the more bobby pins she lost from her hair. They ate my mama's best china and trailed green slime over my new white wall-to-wall carpet. Pastor Williams sighed and closed his eyes as he pinched the bridge of his nose. I am so sorry to hear that, but... Green slime on my new white carpet! Now, 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 look here. Amy Lee asked to be married in the church, and, and that's what I'm gonna do. The first strains of Selma Liberty's off-tempo rendition of Tis So Sweet on the church organ made a joyful noise unto the Lord and set Pastor William's teeth on edge. He stepped to the side on his way to the chapel, but the mother of the bride wasn't finished with him yet. Tell them you're sick, she said, breaking a nail as she grabbed his upper arms. Tell them you've given up your calling so you can raise goats or emus or anything, but you just can't marry my little girl to that... that... thing... With patience as a virtue and a gentle grip, Pastor Williams pulled Brenda Lee's hands away and held them in his own. All I can tell you is that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Now, now, come on. We can't leave Amy Lee waiting at the altar. The chapel was filled with well-wishers and less Christianly types, all arranged cheek to jowl beneath the lazy draw of the single ceiling fan. The family and friends of the bride were arranged on the left side of the aisle. There was Jackson Arnold, slouched in the fourth row, third seat from the aisle, picking his nose when he thought no one was looking and whopping it on the back of his hand to save it for later. Violet and Henrietta Lincoln sat together so everyone could see they still weren't talking to one another after one of them stole the other's bow at their debutante. Not that either of them could remember who did what after 70-plus years. Patsy Duncan, six rows back, might have whispered a little louder about how awful it was that Emily Joe Baker couldn't get a real man like her Sarah Beth. But it wouldn't have mattered. Colonel Butch Whitby sitting beside her, couldn't hear a word she said, 
which was a shame since everyone else heard her just fine. With Brenda Lee's arm in his, Pastor Williams led the grieving mother to her seat in the front row. Squeezing her hand a final time, he passed her into Mimi's care for tissues and homemade pralines. The groom's family and friends were in full attendance as well. They trilled, pukfused, and snagged, seemingly joyful noises not unlike Selma's plan. The top spread around the pews caught the occasional upwelling of happiness that oozed from various parts. The parental units of the groom entwined in the front row seats nearest the aisle. Both heads of one of the relations bobbed in agreement as it talked to another relation that blinked each of its 14 eyes in fluttering succession. A green thing fanned itself in the heat, with a sheer purple guest folded into pleats. As Pastor Williams stepped up to the pulpit, the door on the far right opened, and Tkkultkibxbxtki slithered into the chapel. The groom undulated to his place before the gathering, bulging above and below the dark ruby cumberbund from Daisy Peterson's bridal shop. The yellow carnation boutonniere pinned to the front of the fabric was a nice touch, being a shade lighter than the tips of his 22 tentacles. Bubba John Baker shuffled in after him as best man, matching cumberbund and boutonniere part of the rented tuxedo a size too small for his love of Pabst and his mother Mimi's cooking. The pastor opened the well-worn Bible to the proper page. The mother of the bride flashed the pastor three $100 bills in a last-ditch effort. The organist bent the opening bars of the wedding march, and the front doors to the chapel opened to present the bridal party. First came Betsy Walker, tisketing and tasketing with her tiny green and yellow basket of jasmine petals that she scattered down the aisle barely faster than one of the groom's relations could gobble them up. Sarah Beth's bridesmaid dress was conspicuously tied around the middle. Not that it was anybody's business but her own, and it was impolite to stare. Then came Emily on her father's arm. A true vision of southern joy from the toes of her trim white sandals to the ring of daisies in her ash-brown curls. Her summer-length dress was lacy and bright, the yellow of the early morning sun, or her intended eye stalks. Emily all but floated down the aisle with a bouquet of yellow jasmine and daisies in hand, her father dragging his heels at her side. He looked more sober than usual for a weekday. He'd even shaved. With a final sigh as they reached the pulpit, John Henry presented his baby girl to his future son-in-law and joined his wife in the front row. The ceremony was brief. Even the good Lord understood that Mame's macaroni salad went south faster on an August afternoon than candidates on the campaign trail. Pastor Williams preached about tolerance, love, and brotherhood. The bride's parents wept. The grooms burbled. 
By the time he had made it to the do use and the rings were exchanged, Mimi had wiped out the pralines and John Henry's flask was bone dry. Pastor Williams closed the good book and raised his hands. Now, 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 I now pronounce you husband and wife, he said proudly. You may kiss the bride. Emily smiled, leaned forward, and no sooner had the newlyweds kissed, lips to pseudopod, than began to swell, his tentacles a quiver. He grew glistening and wet. There was a zip and a snap as the ruby cummerbund gave way. The groom bulged, swayed, and with a rubbery squeak, he popped like a bubble from a prize water gum. Emily's smile was radiant as she picked the pieces of her husband off her face. Her belly began to swell with consummation and effect. Right then and there, Jackson Arnold wiped off the back of his hand and swore he'd never pick another nose for the rest of his days. The right side of the chapel surged forward, tearing the top and waving their tentacles. They congealed around Amelie with best wishes and moist sounds. Clasping the best man's hands and patting him on the back with antenna until he screamed like a little girl and dove head first under Mimi's skirt. Betsy Walker shrieked and giggled as someone long, green, and fuzzy began to swing her around like a baby sister. Sarah Beth rolled her eyes and stamped on wet fangs until they cleared a path. Whatever. I'm going outside to smoke. Pastor Williams endured the throng, the Bible over his head and out of harm's way, greeting and nodding in his best Sunday fashion. When the damp crush filed out the front doors with Emma Lee and Betsy Walker in their midst, and Betsy's mother in a panic not far behind, he stepped around the pulpit and moved to the left side of the room where everyone but the mother of the bride sat in stunned silence. He touched her arm as she busied herself with her purse and disposable camera. Um, are you all right? Brenda Lee looked up at him and smiled, smearing what little mascara hadn't run down her cheeks as she dabbed her eyes. Just fine, Pastor. That was a lovely ceremony she said, standing as she tucked the tissue into her purse. The pastor blinked. Uh, Well, um, thank you. I must admit I wasn't expecting you to... Oh, that, Brenda Lee said with an embarrassed titter. Pre-wedding jitters is all. She nudged her husband, who sat with his head between his knees. Come on now, John Henry. You can get sick any old time. We need to be out there with Emily in the receiving line. Around them, the remaining guests roused themselves to file out of the chapel. Now, now, Brenda Lee, why don't you sit down and, and let me get you something to drink? Don't you worry about me, Pastor Williams. I'm fine. Really, I am. I, I see, but what about Tickle Beaks, Doc Beak, Bucketer Beaks? Toggle Bears? I suppose it was all for the best, she said with a wistful sigh. I mean, 
You were right when you said Emily is in love, and that's the best reason of all to get married. She tucked up one of her drooping curls. I said get up, John Henry. The mother of the bride searched the crowd. Her chin came up as she found the one she was looking for. Can't find a real man, hmm? She said, not looking away from her target. You know, Pastor, I'm going to be a grandmother any day now. And at least my grandbaby's parents were married before it was born. Which is more than Patsy Duncan can say for hers when the time comes. If you'll excuse me, Pastor Williams. Brenda Lee moved around him and hurried to catch up to the woman in the sixth row. Patsy, hon, hold up a minute, sweetie. Well, that was our story. Hope it tickled your pseudopod. <laughs> Let's do listener story feedback for another story we ran a few weeks ago that tickled most people's cytoplasmic feet. Society of Eccentric Mustaches by Daniel LaMole. Munzee said, This story was really cute, and I'm always in favor of amusing facial hair, so it's good to see somebody coming out in favor of them. Fest 41 related to the story, saying, As the owner and tender of a Burt Reynolds-esque mustache myself for the past two decades, I now run the risk of liberation from the marital condition if I ever shave. This story was a drastic change of mood from what we've had during the past two or three weeks, and a happily entertaining one. My name's Fest, and I'm an addict. Dreamrock said, I like how the story turns what is stereotypically considered a female attribute, cosmetic vanity, etc., and twists it backwards on something that most men don't bother having at all anymore. The ending felt a little bit like a non-sequitur, though. The ending, for those of you who don't recall, had the hirsute apprentice staged up as a werewolf for a kid's birthday party, and it was the straw that broke the camel's back. It's cool getting your feedback. If you like the story or didn't, you can talk about it. Check out our discussion forums. The kick-ass donor of the week this week is... Patrick Toner. Pat's a big fan of Drabblecast, has been a monthly subscriber for a while now, and is just about to get married himself. So he had to suspend his subscription to Drabblecast for a little while because weddings are ridiculously expensive. But that's no biggie at all, because he's been supporting us for a long time, and we wanted to thank him anyways and send him across the river Asheron and down into the nine circles of matrimonial bliss in style. Patrick's from New York and does a fun little blog that he's hoping to make into a podcast one day called Not Often, which you can find at notoften.com. Here, Patrick and others scour the internet for interesting content that doesn't suck. Then he dredges it up and polishes it off and reviews it. Good luck with the podcast, brother. Let us know when it launches, and congrats on tying the knot. One hundred character story winner this week is Eric Marsh with this fun little piece. Secretively, Ted turned on his cell phone. His 747 started falling from the sky. Ted quickly turned the phone off again. 
Yeah, I always wonder. Twobbles, or Twitfix, are stories exactly 100 characters that we post in our Twitter feed. We've got a weekly contest going on our discussion forums. Why not write one yourself and post it on the boards? See how people like it. So, here's a pretty cool thing I'm just starting to get into. Jake Bible's Dead Mech audiobook, the world's first Drabble novel. Here's a promo. In the future, after the zombie apocalypse decimates the world, human civilization tries to pull itself back together again. Their secret weapon, the mech, massive robotic battle machine. But what happens when a mech pilot dies in his mech and becomes a zombie? Hell on Earth is unleashed. Presenting Jake Bible's Dead Mech, the world's first travel novel. If you love zombies, horror, sci-fi, futuristic battle machines, blood, guts, gore, and cannibals, then visit jakebible.com for more info and to download the free podcast novel. Jake Bible's Dead Mech. The future may not be completely dead, but it's on its way. That pretty much says it all, huh? So that's our show. It's produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but share it all you like. The Drabblecast runs off of listener support, so if you like this week's story, why not chuck us a donation via the support options off of our website, www.drabblecast.org. Or if you find yourself liking every week's story, why not subscribe for an automatic five bucks a month and totally be the man, or woman, or cephalopod. Anything you can give is greatly appreciated. Special thanks to this week's episode artist, Jan Dennison. Jan's done art for us before, and we like her a lot. She makes crafts and all sorts of cool stuff. Check out her website, slash store, slash blog at www.jannypie.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you that the usual response is simply... I do. Curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all splurred when spoke. In the dark corner table sits Lance Fernandez, the boss. And as women surround him like clothing, all tussled and ready to toss. All tussled and ready to Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.